Welcome, ladies, to our Bible study podcast. So glad you're able to join in as we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, Bev gave us an overview and an overall introduction to Matthew as we took a look at chapters 1 and 2, reading about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew begins by showing that Jesus is both the son of Abraham and the legal and legitimate heir to the throne of Israel's great King David. We came to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise made to his ancestor Abraham, the promise to be a blessing to all the nations. Matthew then sets the stage by telling the beautiful story of Jesus' birth and again presenting Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The fulfillment of a prophecy from Isaiah 7.14 that a virgin would give birth to a son who will be called Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus would be the Messiah. Matthew 2 then describes the events after the birth of Jesus. We read about the visit of the wise men and how King Herod attempts to kill Jesus. We heard how Joseph took his family to escape to Egypt, and then later, after the death of Herod, they returned to live in Israel, settling in Nazareth. And now we come to chapter 3. But it begins some 30 years later. And it begins with this odd, wild, and crazy-looking man preaching in the wilderness in the region of Judea. And his message? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist is this wild-looking man, preaching, proclaiming, preparing the way. Preparing the way for what? For who? Well, let's look at chapter 3 and begin by reading it together. If you have your Bibles, please follow along. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, 
And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we could set aside this time and look into your word, time where we could devote ourselves to loving and knowing you. And as we begin today's Bible study, we ask that you would guide our thoughts and minds, speak to our hearts, and help us to gain a better understanding of your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's usually around this time of year that our family would be planning our annual winter drive down south. But with the borders being closed and with a provincial lockdown in place, unfortunately, there's no Florida sunshine in our forecast. But when I think back to last year and all the other winters when we have been able to travel, I think about the preparation that went into it arranging all our schedules to be able to take the same week off, getting people to relieve our work responsibilities, researching and booking accommodations and double confirming that all is good, planning an itinerary, packing clothes, sandals, games, charging up all our electronics and making sure to pack phone cords, laptop chargers, books, journals, Bibles, pens, making sure all the passports are packed and not expired, arranging with neighbors to watch the house, pick up our mail, and of course, shovel our driveway when it would snow, checking to make sure all the bills are paid up, going grocery shopping, and stocking up on everyone's favorites for a long 24-hour drive. Candy, chocolate, chips, granola bars, juice boxes. Finally, taking all the garbage out and doing a last-minute house cleaning. Nothing like coming back home to a clean house. Sounds like a lot of work and effort, but this was something that needed to be done in preparation for getting away and in enjoying some R&R that we were all so looking forward to. There's nothing like arriving to the border only to realize that you've forgotten your passports, or worse, even one of your children, or that you, ne- you neglected the importance of making sure your vehicle was mechanically in shape so it wouldn't break down, or that you didn't take time to get extra health insurance in case of an unexpected illness. Well, in Matthew chapter 3, we see a man coming to prepare others for something significant. That man is John the Baptist, and he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you remember, John was the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. He was a relative of Jesus as their mothers Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. In the Gospel of Luke, we read that when the angel Gabriel told Mary that she would give birth to Jesus, he also told her about John. When Mary was carrying Jesus in her womb, she visited Elizabeth and John leapt in his mother's womb for joy at the sound of Mary's voice. And an angel promised this about John, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And then in Luke 1, 76 and 77, his father Zechariah prophesied this about his son John. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. 
And so now, here is John the Baptist, this prophet, preaching in the wilderness. In the wilderness, in the hot, barren desert with badlands, rugged gorges and wild animals, John's heart is calling for people to repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Something special is about to happen. The kingdom is coming. The Lord is coming. John wants them to be ready because they're about to meet the Messiah. Prepare, get ready, listen to my voice. I have an important message. Get everything in place. Get yourselves ready. Repent. He was trying to get across a simple message. He was pointing people to repentance. He was calling out for the people to turn from their sin. But it was more than that. He was calling out to them to make a change, a complete change. To turn away from sin, but to also turn their life around. To head in the right direction and live differently. Having a change of heart, a change of behavior. In Matthew 1, 21, the angel of the Lord that appeared to Joseph said this about Jesus. She, being Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. John the Baptist was making people aware of their sin so they could be saved from their sins, so they could receive salvation that would be offered to them by the Messiah. Repent, prepare your hearts for the Messiah. We'll even see next week in chapter 4 that Jesus preaches saying the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But here we have John the Baptist, known as the forerunner of Christ, preparing the way, asking people to prepare their hearts for the Messiah. Matthew tells us in verse 3 that John the Baptist was foretold in the Old Testament. He quotes the words of the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In those days, when a king would be passing through, word went out and the roads and paths would need to be made ready. Holes were filled, hills leveled, bridges built, all so that the king could pass through properly. John the Baptist's message was now for the people to prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Them preparing meant they needed to prepare their hearts by repenting. All the things in their life that were getting in the way needed to be removed, leveled, cleared out to make room for the king. There's no room for sin to get in the way. The people needed to make their path straight prepare their roads, their life, making their relationship right with God in order to prepare for the coming of the Messiah, the King. What about us? Are we able to admit that we are sinners? Are we truly sorry for the wrong things that we do or have done from the harmful thoughts and actions we say and do? Are we able to turn from ourselves or from things that pull us away from God? Are we heading in the right direction, on the right paths and roads that lead us to walk with God in obedience to His commands? The things that we do and say and think about, are they pleasing to God, reflecting a changed mind and heart? Just as John the Baptist shared this with the people, we too need to prepare our hearts to be right with God, 
shaped by who Jesus is. So let's go back and look at verse 4 again. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So here's this man wandering in the wilderness wearing camel's hair, uh, a leather belt, eating locusts and honey. Yes, I think we can agree that that's quite odd, strange, and wild. It's not the typical clothing or food choices, not the typical man. It was simple, poor, practical. But if we look back into the Old Testament, we see the prophets dressed in a similar way, especially the prophet Elijah. We read in 2 Kings 1.8 about Elijah. They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist, and he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. The Israelites were expecting Elijah. They've been waiting a long time for their Messiah. It's been 400 years since the last prophecy. You see, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 to 6a, we read, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. 400 years and no prophecy. No one is speaking to them from God. But just as if it was foretold in Malachi, here's this man now, dressed like a prophet, Elijah, speaking like him. And so people began to flock in. As we see in verse 5, they flocked in from Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region about the Jordan. Everyone was coming, eager to hear the news that was being spoken of. They were so eager and ready to hear what this prophet was coming to say. And as a result, let's look at what verse 6 says. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. They came, they heard, they confessed, they seeked repentance, and they were baptized. News that they had been waiting for, the promised Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He was coming. And while this beautiful event is taking place, John looks up and there's this group of men coming the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But why? Why would these influential religious groups come? They boastfully came, making an entrance, needing to check out what was going on. You see, the Pharisees were a small group of legalistic religious men that were prideful and self-righteous. The Sadducees were wealthy, high priests, liberal in their thinking, and they controlled what was going on in the temple. These two religious groups, they had little in common. They were in conflict with each other. They didn't agree about things. Yet we'll see later on at the end of Matthew that they put their differences aside when they conspired against Christ. Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had no place for Jesus in their life. They had no need for him. And in those days, many would be fearful to even address them, to speak up to them, but not John. He recognizes them and he calls them out. You brood of vipers, he yells out to them. He publicly addressed them, calling them children of snakes, basically calling them Satan. 
He pointed out that they were deceitful, dangerous, and wicked, and that their hearts were evil. They were prideful, and they needed to be firm, and sorry, and he needed to be firm with them, revealing their sin. He challenged the Pharisees and Sadducees to show their fruit. Let's see your fruit. Let's see the change in your life, not only the words you speak, but your actions. But no, there's no evidence of good fruit. They have no love of the scriptures. They have no remorse for their sin. There's no evidence of changed hearts. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell them that just because they're Jewish, God's chosen people, that doesn't mean that they're okay. Their Jewish heritage isn't doing anything for them. Just because Abraham was righteous doesn't mean that God would view them as being righteous. They needed to repent, just like everyone else does. John goes even further and gives them an example of what happens to you if you don't produce fruit. In verse 10, if you don't produce fruit in your life, if you don't lead a holy, faithful life like a tree that doesn't produce fruit, you will be cut down and thrown into the fire. God's judgment will come. You will be excluded from his kingdom. So you grew up in a Christian home. You were a good church kid. Or your grandfather was a pastor. Or your family heritage is one that gives you a happy heart. But does that make you a Christian? Does that make you a devoted believer? Just like the Jewish heritage didn't do anything for their religious leaders, our Christian family heritage isn't doing anything for us. Has God changed your life? Are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit that reflects a heart of repentance? In Galatians 5, and 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Or do we remain unchanged, stuck in our old ways? Do we love ourselves more than Christ? Is pride and self-righteousness standing in the way? We need to look at our lives and examine our hearts. We've been told, we've been warned, we can either embrace Christ and live a life worthy of his calling, or we can choose not to embrace and be cut down with the axe, be separated from God. Yes, it's a difficult thing to both think and talk about. John goes on and explains about the water baptism that he is doing, how it's one for repentance. It's only a symbol of a changed heart and life. It's a symbol and an outward sign for the inward changes that God has brought about in their lives. You see, baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip or to immerse. So they were baptized, they were dipped, immersed in the Jordan River, symbolically being cleansed and publicly demonstrating their faithfulness to God. This baptism is important, but there's a better baptism coming. John points to Jesus all the time. Throughout this whole time, he is always humbly pointing to the one that is greater than he is. To the one, as in verse 11, he says, He who is coming is mightier than I. And then the end of verse 11, And Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire, immersing us with the Holy Spirit, purifying and refining us, the power of God in us. This is the power that brings real change to our lives and in our hearts. And in verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Farmers would need to separate the good part of the crop from the bad part. I'm definitely not a farmer, but I did read that the way they would thresh the wheat is they would use this pitchfork kind of tool and they would stab the grain, throw the stalk and husk into the air and hopefully on a windy day and then the wind would blow and take the chaff away, which is the bad inedible part. The wheat kernels, the weighty part, the good stuff would fall to the ground. The farmer would gather up the wheat kernels and then burn the rest. Separation of the good and the bad. And so this will happen too with those who embrace Jesus and those who reject Jesus. Jesus will separate the good, the believers, the wheat from the bad, the evil, the chaff. He will gather up the believers and the wicked will burn eternally. Separation of the good and bad of those who repent and follow Jesus and those who reject him. The coming wrath of God. But we have assurance and can praise God. He will save all who will come and put their trust in him. Many of us know John 3.16 really well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And when we come to Christ, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. This is known as our conversion. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses of Him, God working in our hearts. And as an act of obedience to the Lord, Christian baptism is the next step. It's not a means whereby we're saved, but it's an outward sign and a symbol of what has happened to us inwardly, a sign of repentance, cleansing, and commitment. It's also our our identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and illustrating our death to sin and walking in newness of life in Christ. Will you believe in him? Are you willing to repent and commit your life to fully serving Jesus, our Lord and King? At the end of Matthew, shortly before Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus gave this command to the apostles. He said in verses 18 to 20 of chapter 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Specific directions given by Jesus to believers to follow. And so we saw that John the Baptist had prepared everyone. He baptized them. He rebuked the religious leaders. And now, the exciting moment that everyone had been waiting for, Jesus arrives. Hundreds lined the river to be baptized by John, and now they would see Jesus, their long-awaited Messiah. He would come and be in their midst. In verse 13, Jesus came. 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. What? Wait, this made no sense to John. This made him uncomfortable. Why would he baptize Jesus? He wasn't worthy to take off Jesus' sandals. Jesus' feet were too special, and now he wants him to baptize him? Why? Jesus was sinless. He was holy, blameless, pure. He didn't need to repent. He doesn't need to be forgiven. He offers forgiveness. And in verse 15, But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, being John, consented. Jesus knew that John was right. Jesus knew that he was sinless. But Jesus also knew that he needed to be baptized. He needed to show others how important this step was. He needed to identify with us, with you and me, with fallen sinful man, with all our brokenness, our ugly sin. He needed to identify himself with people that he is coming to save. The only way people will be made righteous is if Jesus identifies with them, standing in the place of sinful men, becoming one of us, to fulfill all righteousness in our place. And as we know, this will be fulfilled at the cross when he takes on all our sins. Douglas O'Donnell writes this, When we go down into the waters of baptism, it is a symbol of the cleansing of our sins. As the water pours over our heads, we are made clean in the sight of God. When Jesus went down into the water of the Jordan River, the opposite happened. He began to take on our sin, our dirt, all the scum of all all the baptized. Whatever drop of water might have entered into his mouth was his first taste of the cup of God's wrath which he would drink in full measure on the cross. And so John consented, and he baptized Jesus. And behold, look, the heavens opened up. The Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven spoke. God spoke for all to hear. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Trinity, we have the Father, we have the Son and the Holy Spirit appearing for the first time to man together. Not only is Jesus now anointed and empowered with the Holy Spirit for his ministry, but God just declared him to be his beloved Son. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. The coming of Jesus Has that changed your life? Has it changed the way you think, speak, act, the way you truly love others, your desire to walk in obedience to his word, your sorrow over sin and a desire to repent, confess, and be cleansed? We prepare for so many different things, for exciting trips, for weddings, for the arrival of a new baby and families, for the very important work presentation, So much time and effort going into these things, and rightly so. They are important to us, to our families, to our jobs. But how much more important is it to be willing to prepare our hearts to walk and live a life that is holy, fully devoted to God? Preparing our lives by finding quiet time to study and pray, confessing our sins and experiencing His forgiveness, reflecting on His goodness and sharing Christ's love with others. 
God loves us, even though we are sinners, every one of us. He wants us to have a relationship with Him. That's why He sent Jesus, proclaimed by John the Baptist. Jesus lived a sinless life and then died on the cross. He identified Himself with us, taking on all our sins, to the point of dying on a cross for us. And then He rose again and demonstrated triumphant power over death. Hallelujah! Jesus identified Himself with us, and by His grace we now identify ourselves with Him, living a life of repentance, confessing, and as an act of obedience, being baptized, and living a life worthy of the call, being fruitful in our actions in our speech, and in our attitudes. Let me just close off our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us, for the precious gift of your Son, Jesus, for your loving instructions and guidelines. We pray that you would help us to always have a heart that desires and is prepared to love you, to follow you, and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies, today we saw how Jesus identified with us in baptism and how God gave public testimony that Jesus is his son. Next week, Karen will take us through chapter 4, where Jesus now begins his public ministry and where he will come face to face with Satan, identifying with us in our weakness, our suffering, and in our temptation. So thank you, ladies, for joining our podcast. We'll see you next week.